Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeRandall.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. Hey everyone, on this episode we talk about re-tearing a rotator cuff repair criteria for selecting a PT school, and managing athletes with excessive range of motion. The Ask Mike Reinhold Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. We're here for another episode where we answer your questions. Uh, and again, so far, awesome questions. I think we're good. Uh, I'm here with uh, the crew here at Champion PT and Performance up in Boston. Lane McCrina, Dave Tilly, physical therapist here with us. Gabe Morgan, the uh, student extraordinaire that... Um, is your clinical almost over? You've been here forever. Yeah, almost. Two weeks ago, we're supposed to be done. Now. We'd fly <laughs> back up just to ask two, questions. Two, yeah, two, two weeks ago for Gabe, fantastic clinical. Gabe's doing a great job. Killing it. If anybody in the Georgia area has a job they want to offer Gabe, they can contact yeah, you at what's your Twitter hashtag? Is that GMO capital GMO GMO five five two seven. If you're in, if you're in the Georgia area and looking for an awesome student, Gabe Morgan's the man. But. Anyway, um, yeah, we're back for another show. Um, got a few questions for you today. Um, I like these questions. These are some good ones today. So, um, Gabe, let's get it started, man. All right, first one comes from Peter from Lake Worth, Florida. Peter asks... From where? Lake Worth. Florida. A lot yeah. of lakes in Florida. Yeah, this is a worthy lake. Especially in the central area. <laughs> so, Peter asks, is it true that people frequently re-tear after rotator cuff repair and do just as well? Retear after cuff repairs, yeah. So, Len, this is this is your world. Yeah, it's uh, an epidemic if you talk to some people, but <laughs> it happens. What are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just keep having surgery. Uh, no, it's if you look at the research, and there's a ton of stuff that's out there, and it continues to come out, we see that the retear rates are actually, unfortunately, pretty high. Whether or not they're symptomatic, that's another thing. Um, you know, some people are reporting... 70%, 80% retear rates in some of their rotator cuff repairs. So, But people, if you look at their function and functional scores and talk to people about it, they're fine. So we need to figure out, is it that bad that it's showing up on an MRI or some kind of, um, I guess, MRI, with it in, in, but they're functional. So are we going to do anything about it? Are we going to have another surgery? Probably not if they're living and doing everything that they want to do. But absolutely, I think retail rates uh, exist and we just need to tweak out what, what is dysfunctional and what is painful. Yeah, I think the research shows too, um, the bigger your tear, so the larger the tear size, um, the more tendons that it involves right. or more muscles. So if it's you know super spinous and starts extending down posteriorly, um, their age, did I say that one yet? Um, their age, you know, the older they are, the poorer tissue quality that the retail rates go up. You know, so if you just look at size alone, there's a couple of studies that have actually shown this. But again, you know, small tears have, I don't know, I'm making this up off the top of my head, but let's say give or take 25% retear rate, medium tears are 50%, and large tears are 75%. So um, this isn't just one study, this is a bunch of studies. So this is true. But again, the people feel well afterwards. 
So there's actually, you know, not to get too off topic, but there's been a bunch of research because the physicians started seeing this and started saying, well, well, maybe we're going too aggressive with rehab. So they start saying some stuff that drives us crazy, like no rehab for 12 weeks, <clears throat> no, um, no range of motion for eight weeks, like those types of things. Um, they, they start saying these, these crazy things. But again, um, the research isn't showing that that matters either. So the you know if you start rehab right away if you start passive range right away again that doesn't correlate to the retail rate as far as I know at least with the research so um, yes it's true yes it happens uh, those t- types of things are occurring but again as Lenny said I think they're doing well because they get such great rehab afterwards and they really strengthen the cuff around it so um, it happens it's possible um, but like again you know as long as their subjective you know complaints are better I I, I think they're they're pretty happy so yeah. Yeah. Gabe, what do we got? What's number two? Next one comes from Ari from Bullard, Colorado. Ari asks, I'm a former minor leaguer, and I'm starting PT school in the fall. I'm conflicted between choosing a reputable but expensive school versus a lower rank but less expensive option. As someone who wants to eventually treat baseball players, how important is school ranking? Uh, We get that question a lot, right? Um, Lenny, you have good experience. You've told me about this personally. I think it's uh, every student that we have (laughs) in. We we hear this a lot from people. Yeah, I mean, we, I've, I've shifted in my head because I went to Boston University, so I I had to choose between UMass Lowell, which is state school in Massachusetts, was back in uh, '99 or something like that, um, or Boston University. And I went BU and had a great experience. I absolutely would recommend BU to everybody. Um, but then you start thinking about, do I want to take on all this debt? And what's really going to shape your PT career in the future? And it's really your clinicals. And I think as long as you have a school that supports the students and their ability to go out and get clinicals that the student desires, not necessarily what the school desires, I think that's the key aspect. If you can get exposed to the climates and the, and the clients and the PTs that you want during your they're in your student internships and get the school to reach out to those places. Like I reached out to Hell South in Birmingham. I don't know if there was a previous BU student and I ended up doing my re- my internship down there and that led to a whole new world for my life. And good thing BU is open to do that. Um, so I think the school, yeah, it's great to have a, a, a reputable school, but I don't know if it's as important as students think. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that personally too. Um, I went to Northeastern. Um, again, same as Lenny, highly recommend Northeastern as well. Uh, Northeastern does have one, uh, you know, differentiation, I guess, that's a little bit, you know, different is they have the co-op program. So technically I graduated with, you know, over two years of clinical experience more than, than my peers because Northeastern had that. So there are little things like that. And I think there's some excellent schools out there with some great professors that do things really well. And I, I think they're out there, but I think in general, this is well overplayed. And I really, I don't know of anybody that owns a clinic or anything else that I know that even cares. Right? Do you, has that, has, you know, have you ever come across that where you even heard somebody say like, well, you know, I think we're going to go with this guy because he went, he went to this school instead of yeah. this school. I just, I don't right. feel like that happens in our profession. Yeah. We're not talking about an MBA from Harvard here. I think that's a little, right. that's, that's different. I think you get some opportunities. I just don't know if it's there. So if, if it's all, if everything's equal, I think it's not about what school you go to. It's about the experience you make, like Lenny said. And so you're a former professional baseball player that wants to get into working with athletes. I don't think you're, as your schooling is going to help you get into that niche. It's going to be your experience. So if I were you, I'd be working with every baseball place you could in the area right now, 
working with all the coaches trying to do that and just go to you know whatever school fits your budget or your needs that type of thing and I wouldn't overemphasize yeah my one piece of advice is as much as schools are interviewing you as a candidate to accept you I think you interview the school to see how well they work with other um other clinics to be able to get certain clinical sites if they don't actively have them uh, as a as a site that you could potentially go to. So I think you want to make sure that the ACCE or the CC, whoever the person is at the college, is open to new clinical rotations that you might be interested in. Yeah, Dave, you got anything exciting? Uh, no, I mean when I applied to school a little while ago, it wasn't I wasn't really looking at rankings terribly. I was looking more at the programs that I thought were a good fit for me, and I also thought that they had, like Lenny said. Other friends of mine had gone or people had gone and said they liked their clinical experiences. The teachers were knowledgeable. They had a good curriculum set up. And then from there, like you guys said, like, especially like my last year, it was like, what do I want to do? How do I actively pursue more stuff that I want to get interested in? So I don't think it's more of like a lot of base curriculums have a lot of the same stuff in the last year with clinicals that differentiate. So it's like more about what do you want to put in the last year and find a place to go that you enjoy that will give you connections to wherever you want to go. And you partly went to Springfield because of their gymnastics exactly, as well. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, so again, you know, Dave went for you know, a completely different reason why Springfield was a good fit for him, but I don't think any of us picked these specifically because it was a higher rank school or whatever no. the heck that means. So. No. Nice. What else, Gabe? Our last one comes from Allie from Dallas. Allie asks, what is the best way to manage athletes who require abnormal range of motion for their sports such as gymnasts and dancers? We got a gymnast. Wait, what do, I don't Lenny, know anything about What do you think? Well, my somersault routines. <laughs> so we happen to have Dave Tilly here. Dave Tilly has been waiting know him. for the word gymnastics to come across. <laughs> this is probably my Dave's mouth right now. This is, yeah, exactly. This is Dave wrote this question. <laughs> no, David Dallas. So Dave can answer this, but I've forgotten the question. What was it again? Uh, what's the best way to manage athletes who require abnormal range of motions for their sport? Uh, most athletes require yeah. abnormal range of motion. Yeah, I mean baseball and. How do you manage it? Sure. Yeah. So uh, you have to understand the demands of the sport, right? Like you guys are storing an X amount of external rotation is equivalent to restoring X amount of hip mobility in a gymnast. And you have to know what can limit that range of motion, right? All the way from the, the osseous bony things to the capsular tissue to the soft tissue to maybe they're just super flexible, but they don't have the control or strength to get through their full range of motion. So, um, I took a lot of the research from you guys in like Birmingham from shoulders and applied that to hips because it's kind of the same thing. And oftentimes when you get down to it, you'll find like someone stretching their capsule versus the soft tissues the issue. Or someone maybe has a bony hip anatomy that doesn't allow them to do certain things, but they're still cranking through that range of motion. So that's the first thing is like a really in-depth assessment of all those things. Once you get to there, a lot of it's education for those uh, athletes that I work with about like, like you can show me on the table, you have plenty of this, why are you still stretching, right? Or like you have enough that you need, you're just not doing it, maybe it's a technique thing. Maybe their coaches are missing something with their application, you know, all the way down to, like we were talking about last week about throwing mechanics, right? Like some people just need more work in throwing mechanics. Some people need more work with you to get soft tissue to get to the coach, because the coach can't coach you out of bad technique until you have mobility for it. So I think there's a lot of components to it about patient education, you know, developing mobility full range, that's enough that they need, and then do you have the strength to back it up? Like, a lot of gymnasts that I work with get a lot of anterior hip pain and labral issues because they have super strong legs in their mid-range, but when they get to end-range terminal hip extension, you know, they don't have glute control or lumbar pelvic control and they cause their issue there. So, full range control is a big thing, and then technique at the end, I would say. Well done. Pretty good. Nice. Gabe, what's next? That was it. <laughs> oh, that's three. Wow, that's three. man, we're flying through these. That's, that's awesome. 
Um, yeah, good answer, Dave. I mean, obviously, Dave's really you know good at this because he deals with deal people with too much motion all day. <laughs> Lenny and I deal with people that have too much motion all Sometimes day. Sometimes too much is not the issue unless they're symptomatic, though, right? Just because they're gummy doesn't mean they're yeah. like scary, right? Do they right. have symptoms? Yeah, I mean, you, can they control the motion? That's exactly. usually the issue. Is yeah. our guys that we see, especially high-level professional athletes who've made it, they have a certain amount of mobility, which is needed to throw the ball as hard as they can, but can they control that mobility? And usually fatigue begins to settle in. Huge. Yeah. And then that's when the excess of mobility that has gotten them that far becomes uh, a problem, and then they can't control it anymore. So yeah. you know, it comes down to fatigue usually. I feel like all of us, too, like Dave kind of alluded to it a little bit here, we all kind of think like um, addition by subtraction quite a bit. Is most yeah. of these people are overstretching. You know, you know, Lenny and I, Lenny and I played baseball together at one point in our early lives and I think Lenny was stretching my arms behind my back and uh, yanking yank yeah. the internal rotation. Yeah. That was part of our routine in high school to kind of get loose before the game. Um, that's uh, you know not not ideal so you know as we learn we'll just you know we keep adapting and getting it better but um, most athletes are going to have abnormal motion and you're just gonna you know we got to get them to control it. Um, well, awesome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it again. Um, go to MikeReynolds.com slash podcast. Ask us some great questions. We need more. Um, keep them coming. We really appreciate that. Um, you know, Give us a good review on iTunes. Give us a nice rating on there. We'd really appreciate that. And uh, we'll keep answering your questions. So thanks, guys. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeReynolds.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.